So as we jump into this passage, there's four phrases I was studying this week that really stand out. The first one that stands out may be obvious to you as well. It's instead of responding evil for evil, as God's people, we respond to evil with good. How's that going? That God calls us not to return a harsh word for a harsh word, but rather to return a harsh word with blessing. The next phrase that we're going to pick up on as we walk through this is in verse 13, that we are to be those in the world who are known, ready for this, for being zealous for that which is good. So not only are we returning good for evil, but rather we're supposed to move out in a way that we are zealous for that which is good. Third thing that we're going to pick up is that we are, verse 15, in our hearts to honor Christ the Lord as holy. And see, when you have those things in order, not repaying evil for evil, being zealous for good, putting Christ at the center, the center command control of our life, we will have an answer. And notice when people ask you, he's not saying go out and you're going out and telling others about the hope that you have. No, it's because you returned good for evil. They're saying, what is wrong with you? What is going on that you are so zealous for good that instead of reviling your blessing, I want to know the reason for the hope that is in you. Now, let's jump in this together as we look at what it means for us to move out into the world. Now, starting in verse 8, what we see in verse 8 is the kind of community that you need from the people around you so that you can do those four things. So when you jump back in verse 8, he says, finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. That as the church, we have to be that kind of community that's building us up. That we seek to speak into each other's lives in a way that we know what we're going to encounter when we walk out the door. So we don't need that inside the door, right? We need to lift each other up. We need to encourage. Last week, we talked about honoring one another and not just those that are up front or those that may have titles or positions, but honoring, as Scripture says, everyone. Because that's how God views us. It says in, in Psalms, he's crowned us, and this is amazing. He's crowned us with glory and with honor. There is not a human being that is not crowned with glory and honor. And so we are to encourage, to support, to build up. And often I know a lot of stories from people who come into churches, and it's the opposite of build up, encourage, it's sometimes tear down, and, and, and you almost have to brush off the church to get out into the world. And we don't want at Bergen Park to be that kind of community. We're going to offend each other. That happens because I don't know if you know this, but everyone in here is just like you. And everyone in here is just like me. We are broken, and we are weak at times, and we come in grumpy about this and that and these things going on. But see, that's where together, if we have our minds straight and Christ in us and he's the Lord of our heart, we are going to really encourage and lift each other up. Because there's stories of brokenness in churches, right? I know I've experienced it, and I know I can confess I may have even caused it. But the good news of the gospel is that God restores us when we simply admit our brokenness and seek to heal one another. And so as we jump through this, we need that kind of support and community to live this kind of life. So what kind of life are we supposed to live? Well, watch this. Pick it up in verse 9. Do not repay evil for evil, which is the most natural thing to do, folks. I don't know about you, but that's my natural go-to. You come against me. 
I don't have to think. I come against you. You curse me, what happens? The flesh. Because you know what's happened in your life? You have been discipled well by the world. What's discipleship? Increasingly submitting every area of your life. And so that evil comes and you submitted to it. You responded evil with evil. The insult came, what did you do? You increasingly submitted yourself to the authority of that brokenness. And what it does is it starts to take hold. And it changes your emotions, your behaviors, your actions. So he says, do not repay evil for evil. That's, that's the way of the world, not the kingdom. Or reviling, verse 9, for reviling. But on the contrary, and here's the word, we are to bless. We are to bless. And he tells us why. For this is why you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. Then he quotes from Psalm 34. And just think about these words, whoever desires to love life and see good days. If you're here today and you're saying, I want to desire life, I want to see good days. Okay, here's the answer. Then just keep your tongue from evil. Keep your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and, and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. See, when we move out in the world, I think we have this tendency to believe I've got to get mine. And it's interesting, this week I was listening to a sermon by Tim Keller. If you've never heard of Tim Keller, you need to hear about Tim Keller. He has discipled my heart and my soul in so many ways just listening to his, his messages. But he was talking about in Proverbs the description of the righteous and the unrighteous. And this caught me off guard. I, I don't know if I jumped into it to this, to this degree. Often we think of the righteous as those that do the right stuff, right? And that's true. But what's the right stuff according to God? And he says, when you go through Proverbs, what you'll find is the righteous are those that will often disadvantage themselves to advantage others. So it says in Proverbs, when the righteous prosper, the city rejoices. Now, why did the city rejoice? Because the righteous just blessed the city. When the righteous prosper, others benefit. So what's the definition of wickedness? It's just keeping it all for yourself. And I'm not talking about money. But see, when the wicked, the wicked are those who advantage themselves and they disadvantage others. And when I hear that, I go, I got a little bit of wickedness in me. Because there's everything natural within us to protect that which is ours, isn't it? Our family, our friends, our communities, those that, that believe what we believe, everything in me says that is the most natural thing to do, just as the most natural thing to do is to return cursing for cursing, punch for punch, yell for yell. But see, if we are in God's kingdom, what, is, what has Jesus done? He disadvantaged himself so that we might be advantaged. He entered into, I like that sound right there, that kind of just accented that point, I love that. That is the nature of the church. That's the nature of the God that we worship. But I'll tell you, and just be honest with you, it's not, at least it's not my nature. That when someone comes against us, Peter is saying, and Paul says this in Romans, and Jesus says this, I want you to bring blessing. Now, blessing is a better word. 
Because what he's talking about, right, are words right now. When somebody's coming at you with insults, I want you to bless them. I want you, if you could imagine this, to change the narrative. And I'll show you what that means. But before we jump in, we need to realize why do we do this? And so if you look back in the passage, he tells us again in, in, verse, in verse 9 that uh, we do this because to this we were called. That this is our calling in life. It's our purpose in life. Now, if you jump down in chapter 2 and actually go left, you'll see the same language. And he picks up on it. And he says, chapter 2, verse 21, for to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you. So what God's asking us to do is what Christ has done, leaving you an example that you should follow in the steps of Jesus. Jesus committed no sin Neither was deceit found in his mouth. So remember that Psalm 34, if there's no deceit in your mouth, you're going to love life and see good days. Verse 23, when he was reviled, sounds just like Peter. He didn't revile in return. When he suffered, he didn't threaten. Instead, and here's here's the key, and we see this, Peter saying, entrusting your heart, entrusting Christ as Lord over your heart. He says, instead, he continued entrusting himself to the one who judges justly. Notice, it didn't say he did it once, he prayed a prayer, he did it one moment. No, he said his life was a life, Jesus' life of continuing to trust the one who is the just judge. And if Jesus had to do that, guess what that says about me and you? We're not judging justly. As much as we try to judge justly, what comes out of us is often unjust. And so notice this, if you go in in Luke 23, when Jesus was on the cross, he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Matthew 5, verse 43, you have heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For who is our father? Here, he's the one that causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good. He sends rain on the just and the unjust. Jesus says, love your enemies. Why? Because that's what our God does. He does not show partiality. He sends rain. He sends blessing. He sends life on both the just and the unjust. And if you realize that while we were yet enemies, Christ died for us. We were rescued and purchased by enemy love. And if this is the calling of God, then he's saying, I just want you to do what the Father does, what Jesus has done for you. What the Spirit right now is compelling you to do is instead of returning evil for evil, which doesn't win, return good. Because that's our calling. Here's the idea. Realize this. If we don't, no one will. Now, there may be a few people out there that just the Spirit of God has touched. Maybe they're believers or not, but they, they do that. But the church is supposed to be a community so otherworldly that the nature of them is the thing that stands out is when you revile them, when you persecute them, they bless you. Is that the narrative of the world to us? Because realize when we get down to the end of the passage, he's saying, remember, people are going to come up and ask, what, what about the hope that you have? Which means we have to live so counterculturally that others 
are having to pause and say, why are you doing this? I've reviled against you. I've thrown stuff over your fence. I've kicked your dog. I've done all that I can, and yet you're kind. You're gentle. See, typically, we would not see that as winning. Because again, in the ways of the world, discipling yourself in the message and the values of the world, winning is kind of defeating my enemy by tearing him down. But winning for God is by taking your enemy and raising him up and taking him to a place that he sees the God that we worship. This is our calling, church. This is the way we move out in the world. Why do we do this as well? Second reason in verse 9, on the contrary, bless, for to this you were called, and notice, so that you may obtain a blessing. So imagine, here's the scene, right? These are Christians that are going through persecution. What do they need in that moment as they go through harsh times? They need a blessing from God. What's keeping them from being blessed by God? The evil they're returning for evil. They can stop the cycle of vengeance and say, no, when we return blessing to someone who gives us cursing, the father draws near, and here's what he does. He speaks a better word. When someone speaks a negative word, and we speak a good word, here's the image. The father speaks a better word over us. Which means, which means there's no victory for the other. Because if we're listening to the Spirit, we're always being built up by the Father. And the words of others cannot tear us down. Now let me say, those words hurt. And again, that's why we need sympathy from one another, brotherly love. That's why you need a community. You cannot do this alone. Because often we think we're doing it well, and the fact is we're not doing it too well. Or the fact is we think we're doing it well, but we're actually taking it out on all the other people in our life who are closer to us, in our family. Like we're doing good out in the world, out here with my boss and all these people, but then we come home and we're just, there's all this junk inside of us and we're not doing it well. But he's gonna show us what we need to, to be in a place so that it comes out in a way that blesses others. Matthew five eleven says, blessed are you when others revile you and notice, blessed are you when they revile, when they persecute you, and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. I'll tell you, that's not intuitive for me. I don't go, yes, I'm being, I'm being cursed right now. This is awesome. I'm being reviled. He's calling me a loser and, and an idiot for believing. What I... But Jesus is saying, you're blessed. Because if you're associated with him, God is speaking a better word. What does that mean? I've got to change the narrative. I've got to stop being discipled by the ways of the world. I need to start being discipled by the ways of Christ. And I have to say a breath prayer. And you know what you got to do? And you got to get scripture in there to this point. Father, thank you that you're blessing me right now. Because I don't feel it. And I can promise you, the people in the first century, they didn't feel blessed. They had to trust. And in trusting the nearness of God becomes near because the only thing God can't overcome in a sense is faithlessness but with faith trust in who he is nothing is impossible and so you've got to be acting if you've got to say it out loud and, and you're a little crazy like that you say it out loud and you say father thank you that you're blessing me right now and they may think you're a little strange but it may cause them to ask the reason for the hope that you have why do we do this because we're called to it and second because it in doing that, we experience a blessing 
from God. Here's the third reason. Another way we have to change the narrative in our minds, verse 12. And notice, for the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. His ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. When you're in that moment of tense conflict, what do you need? You need the eyes of the Lord upon you. What's keeping it from happening? What's keeping it from happening is that we're discipled in the ways of the world. I'm returning evil for evil. I am my worst enemy. Not my enemy. It's me. It's my flesh. Because, see, I'm keeping the eyes of the Lord away from me. I'm shutting his ears off because I am so angry and so filled with, ah, that his ears close down, not because he doesn't love us. But see, sometimes our father, as we grow up, he doesn't respond to us the same way when we were five. I don't know if you've seen this in your own walk with God. Sometimes a young Christian is a little different. It's like God's presence was like right there. I just, but see, as you grow up, the father says, you know, Jason, I've walked you through this quite a few times. I've forgiven you, and I've been patient with you, and I have moved you down this road. And son, I want you to trust me. I want you to lean on me. And if you will just return blessing instead of evil, my presence will be so near and dear to your heart. And there's issues in our life right now that sometimes God may feel distant simply because there's something that we just simply will not submit to him. Why do we do this? It's our calling. It brings blessing. And here's the fact. I'm not alone when it happens. I've got to shift the narrative. When I'm, someone's coming against you, what do you feel? You feel your back is against the wall. You're in a corner. You're a tiger. You're ready to fight. I've got to defend myself. I've got to push this. If I don't, no one else will. That's not a true narrative. God is at work. And what if when we don't return blessing, we shut off the work of the Holy Spirit in that person's life. Someone liked that outside. Someone was excited about that one. That's a good point right there. When we don't return blessing, it stops the work of the Spirit in someone else's life. Because, see, we know what happened to us, but we don't know when that person walks off what they're thinking. And when we submit ourselves to God in obedience to Scripture, God begins to work in the lives of others. Hey, it may take 10 years, right? How long did it take you to come around? But God is at work. Let's not get in, in the way of the Spirit. So that's the first thing he tells us. Probably the weightiest thing is to return, instead of evil for evil, to return evil, to return good. Second thing I want to pick up is that when we bless, the reason, actually, wait a minute, I got to find, I got a little lost here. There it is. Verse 13, second theme. Now, who is there, and this is a good question, who's there to harm you if you were zealous for what is good? So when you do the right thing, who's going to be against you? There's only two answers, really. The first is no one. I mean, typically, when you do the right thing, people are pretty happy for the most part. But sometimes, he says, when they do, so notice, verse 14, these people were living in a world when you did the right thing, you suffered. But if you suffer for righteousness' sake, here's that word, again, you will be blessed. So don't fear them, meaning what they can do to you, nor be troubled. Now why? Jump down, verse 17. Here's the reason we don't fear. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that's God's will, than for doing evil. 
And again, it's anchored in Jesus. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he may bring us to God. That Jesus was zealous for good, and in being zealous for good, he was persecuted. Now, often in the world, certainly in our context, we can be zealous for good, and most people probably won't. Probably be happy with that. Because sometimes when you're zealous for good, what you get is good back. I mean, good tends to come back when you give good, but there are times when we are good or we seek to be good, and yet what happens is we receive the opposite, but that's what Christ experienced. And so what we need is this spirit of zelotes. Now, that's not another God, okay? That's the Greek word for zealous. <laughs> zelotes, it sounds just like it, right? They must have just taken that Greek word and moved it right over. Basically, to be zealous means to be passionate, excited. And I'll have to be honest with you. When I get up in the morning, I'm just not passionate for good. Now, you guys are. I know. You guys are like, yes, I can't wait. We're going to do us some good today. It's going to be. I got to get myself there. You know, one of the things I've been doing, and, and uh, I've never spent time in the Book of Common Prayer you know, from the Anglican Church. And so I've spent time. There's this book called The Book of Common Prayer for Ordinary Rascals. Okay, I kind of like the title, so I bought it. And it's great. You've got to have an anchor. And there's so many resources out there today. I actually found there's a guy that likes plays music and reads the book to you now on podcast. I mean, how great is that? You've got somebody singing and reading to you. There are daily prayers on podcasts where people are just reading psalms, and then they start singing. We have so many resources. The point is to be zealous to do good. You don't start there. God knows that. And that's why we've got to build ourselves up. We've got to get it within us. We've got to start being passionate. Now, here's the fact. There are things right now you're zealous for. Nobody's got to tell you to be zealous for. I know right now there's a lot of people grieving in the world. I'll tell you why. Because football. Football's not being played. Do you know how many people, football is like their religion. And they have for 30, 50, 40 years, they got that You've seen it, that big old RV, it's like all painted up, it's got the big old flags, and they're showing up at their alma mater, they're at that stadium, 8 o'clock in the morning, they're, they're ready to roll because they are zealous for that game. And for many, yeah, real time, whatever, don't say that. But anyway, they don't have to, why did that happen? Do you know what that was called? It's called discipleship. Maybe their father liked the corn huskers or like... Baylor Bears, and they talked about it. And that son, that daughter, started to, maybe I should like this. They watched a couple games, saw a couple playoffs, saw a lot of defeat, a few victories. Started listening to the coach talk after. Started getting discipled, going to ESPN, start reading stats, discipled. Start finding friends that are just on their side, wearing the clothes and the cut. It's being discipled, church. We're discipled in so many things, and you're zealous. Some of you are zealous for food. And you're being discipled in your foodism. You've got the food people you watch. You know the kind of food you like to make and what you like to do. And, and you will give a reason for the hope that you have. <laughs> Even when I don't ask, you're like giving me books and telling me to eat this way. and do Why? Because you're zealous and you're discipled and you're walking in it. And you love the benefit of returning good for evil. And see, that's supposed to be a picture of the church, that we're supposed to be those people who are so zealous for good. And I wonder sometimes if we are not our worst enemies inside the church, that we're lifting up, that we're focused on the wrong things, and we're talking about the wrong things. And 
And God wants us to be that kind of community that is zealous. And he says this in Titus 2.14. Titus 2.14, for Jesus Christ who gave himself up for us to redeem us. And notice why he's done this. To redeem us from all lawlessness, to purify for himself a people for his own possession. A people who are zealous for good works. Because here's the image of scripture. God is zealous to bless you. How many times did you see the word blessing? Jason, if you just return, good for evil, I'm going to bless you. For this year, you were called, Jason, so that you might inherit a blessing. And when you're persecuted, Jason, hey, remember, you're being blessed. God is so passionately zealous to bless you. And I think, what an ordinary rascal I am, right? I'm so unpassionate for the things he's passionate for and he is passionate for us and I think when his passion becomes a reality in your heart and your mind you start becoming more passionate for him he has not given up on you but he who began the work he's faithful and he will complete the work that he has started in you but you need to trust in faith God you've begun the work I might have hit some roadblocks some bad people may have come in my life caused me to stumble or trip and I may have gotten some some nasty things from the world or from myself in me but God I want to increasingly today submit every area of my life to you and right now Holy Spirit you're showing me I got to submit this and if we would just by repentance and faith submit it his desires to bless us what are we talking about not returning evil for evil, evil for good, being zealous for that which is good, being passionate and committed? Here's the third way, and this is really the motivation. If verse 15 isn't the anchored in our heart, then we're not going to do the first two things. Watch this. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. Now let me just pause there. Let's go back to that moment. You're facing evil. What tends to happen when we face evil because we've been discipled by the world, you honor evil as the center of your life. What do I mean? That person's words stick in your mind. You start telling yourself stories about how terrible they are. She's such a, he's such a, you start seeing them like a caricature. If they had a big nose, they got this Pinocchio type thing on now. Because that's how you see people. You see people one-dimensional when they hurt you. It's natural. That's what you're discipled in, right? They got the big ears. They've lied. They're just a liar. You know, they've hurt you. They're just ruthless. You know, God doesn't characterize us that way. He sees us as one who is created in the image of God. What compelled Jesus to come is the glory of God that we have been crowned with. And yet we have to move out in the world, and what happens is sometimes the pain, and and this is where you need harmony, sympathy, love as brothers, be compassionate and humble. What happens is we get hurt, and we just take that hurt, and we just put it on the center of our heart. It becomes the command center of our lives. I'm not going to do that again because I'm not going to put myself in a situation where I get hurt like that again. And see, you're not obeying God. You're obeying the pain. You're obeying the hurt. And you start making vows to the pain, the hurt. What's he saying? When you put Christ as Lord in your heart, that's the command center of your life. In ancient thought, the heart wasn't just about emotions. It was about what's controlling you. And if you look at your behavior, you'll find what's controlling your heart in that moment. When bad fruit comes out, it's because there's something right now that's that's settled on my heart and it's more glorious than God. Now, in our minds, we say God's more glorious, but the fact is, 
My attitudes are following some evil. My behaviors are in line with some brokenness that happened to me. And I need brotherly affection. I need sympathy from you. I need compassion. I need a community like that. And then I need to do this. Ready? Here's what you got to do. You got to look at what happened and say, hey, you're not Lord. Jesus is Lord. The pain that happened to me, the the offense that happened to me, the hurt, I got to say, honestly, you're not Lord. That's not the story. God is watching over me. I I messed up. Maybe I returned evil for evil. I should have done. But right now, because I'm repenting, God is blessing me. Because this is the life he's called us to. What are you enthroning on your heart? And what do you need to dethrone and say, no, Jesus is Lord. When you have those pains, you've got to speak to him and say, you're not Lord of my life. I'm going to honor Christ as as holy, because he's the only one who, watch this, if you jump down to verse 22, this is the one we want to honor, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God. That's the position of authority and power. We honor Christ who is at the right hand of God the Father, and notice this language, I don't even know what it all means, but angels, authorities, powers, They're all subjected to the one you're honoring in the control center of your heart is Lord. What does that mean? That stuff that's happening to you, it's not as real as Christ. And it says in Ephesians, you're seated with Christ in the heavenly realms. Now, we don't feel that. We feel like we're sitting in the muck. But positionally, because of our faith, we're seated with Christ. And so when that stuff comes against us, we've got to start discipling ourselves, just like with all these other sports and food and all that stuff. We've got to start telling ourselves, wait a minute, I'm seated with Christ in the heavenly realms. Christ, you are over all the authorities and powers. And what's happening to me right now, it seems bad. But I'm going to surrender. I'm going to submit my life to you. And Father, you want to pour a blessing out on me and this person. But I've got to be willing to be obedient and trust you. What is it right now? What pains, what heartaches, what hurts, what powers are you given power to by just holding them up too high? And because of that, you're, you're keeping Christ low. Repentance is, Father, forgive me. I'm holding these things up. Would you be raised up in my life? And that's all it takes. And you know what he does? He starts pouring out blessing in our life because he's zealous for you. Last thing, when you do that, when you enthrone Christ, you're going to have a hope you want to talk about. And people, when you go out into the world, and certainly in this climate, we're moving towards elections, we got to vote, we got to be engaged, we got to be involved, we got to know the issues. And a lot of people have different views, and that's okay. But as we move out, we've got to make sure Christ is what we're focused on. Christ is what we want to hold up in our culture. And so notice he says, when we do this, we always do it with gentleness and respect. Because I think sometimes we honor Christ, but do we do it in a way that honors the way that he, he pursued us? Jesus came in gentleness and respect. Now to those, the Pharisees, those that claim to represent him, sometimes his own children, he's He's strong. He convicts. But to those that are outside the world, those that are broken, the prostitute, the tax collector, those that are discipled so much by the anger of the world that that's all they know and that's the life they've lived, to those he was gentle and patient. 
Do we have a reason for the hope that we have? And, and notice the language here. He doesn't say a reason for everything. You don't have to give a reason for Noah. You don't have to give a reason for Adam and Eve. Those are important things to understand. But you know what? I don't believe in Jesus because of Noah. I believe in Jesus because he rose from the dead. And we have to give an answer for the hope that we have. And again, the fact is, a lot of you have hopes right now that are competing for Christ, and you can give an answer for them. You can give an answer for the dream that you have. You can give an answer for the life that you lived. But can we give an answer for the Christ who is our good news? If he's not ascended on the throne of our heart and we're not wrestling to keep him there, if we're not speaking good instead of evil, and if we're not eager to do good, we won't have an answer for the hope that we have. Not one that is compelling. Because see, it's as we're walking with Christ and the Spirit is with us. And that doesn't mean perfection, church. When I say walk with Christ, I think a lot of you go, oh, that means you gotta be perfect. You gotta be do it right. No, no, no. It means honest. It means surrendered. That when you fail and you fail before unbelievers, you say, hey, I failed. And when you fail and you fail before your family, you say, hey, I failed. God is attracted to the humble. He opposes the proud. As a church, if we don't live for the values of the kingdom, guess what? No one else will, because it's our calling. It's our responsibility. And he is our Lord. And the reality is, whatever hopes you have right now, I want you to understand they are all yes and amen in Christ. You know, I grew up and one of my weaknesses is just the, the love of men, meaning not loving men, but you know, love approval. Love of the respect of others, wanting to be thought of as well. But you know, and that's a good thing, isn't it? It's not a bad thing. But when it becomes your ultimate thing, you start manipulating, you start controlling, you start deceiving. But you know what? The approval that I really need doesn't come from you, it comes from the Father. And it's only when in the morning I find myself in the Father's presence and He's saying, Jason, you're my son whom I love, with you I'm well pleased. Now go take care of these folks for their benefit and not for yours. All of us have a hope. Some of us fight for security. There's no better security than the security that is found in Christ. Because he's speaking to a community that's going out and they're losing jobs. They're being persecuted and yet, because they were following Christ, there was a joy and a peace in knowing that Christ is their security, not their finances, and not the home that they have or the relative peace in their community. No matter how bad it gets, Christ is always our security, and we are never more secure than we, when we are intimate and close with God. Love, don't we want love? Love is yes and amen in Jesus. When we do relationships, we want to do relationships in a way that honors Christ because the deepest love, the deepest companionship, the deepest passion comes out of love from God. And when that love captures us, we are able to love others well. Whatever hope you're looking for, and here's the reality, it's not just us. Everyone out there has a hope. Every neighbor is either looking for love or security or compassion. And when you find out what that unbeliever's hope is, and you start showing them how Jesus is a better savior than this relationship or that money or this issue, they start to listen. 
Because as you listen to their heart and what everybody's enthroning something, right? Everybody's putting something on the center, the control center. Listen to your neighbors. Listen to the people around you. Listen to your family who do not believe. Find out what their hope is and show them how Jesus is. And that hope is yes and amen in him. And as we do that and move out to the world, God desires to bless us, to strengthen us. But we've got to help each other. This isn't easy, right? I mean, this is hard. But by faith, it's possible for those that are willing to put Christ first in each other and care for each other in a way that honors him. Hey, let me pray for us. Father, I thank you that your calling in this world, it's not the calling of the world. Lord, so often, Lord, as I, I, I listen to the news or even sometimes talk to others, we have to get down to the motivations of what's driving us. What is Lord over our life? What do we see as most glorious? And I confess, Father, so often I fight for myself. I fight to be seen a certain way, to be honored a certain way, and none of that has any value if it's not first submitted and surrendered to you. And each one of us has a hope. We've got something that's controlling us. It can be an issue or a challenge or a problem, something that's even good. But sometimes we can so chase the good that the good becomes more important than the great and the glorious. And so, Father, I want to ask, Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name, as we've had this chance to chat together, would you, Holy Spirit, convict us of the things that we need to dethrone? Maybe it's a hurt from the past, a word from another. And, and not to dethrone simply just us and you, but, Father, would we, would we have courage to admit it to others? so that in that we can receive the encouragement, the support that's absolutely necessary to keep Christ at the center of our hearts. And Father, I pray for anyone who has never never experienced the blessing that comes from the Father. I pray they would simply cry out and say, Father, accept me on the basis of Jesus Christ and Christ alone. I want to trust his life, his death, his resurrection and ascension to the right hand of the Father. I want that to be at the center of my life. I pray, Father, Holy Spirit, that you would move, move those that just cry out to you and ask that you would move in their life. And for us today, Father, help us to encourage, help us to lift you up. And I thank you, Father, your desire is to be zealous for us as we are zealous for you. We love you, Father, in Jesus' name.